This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. All right, I think we're ready. Are you ready? All right, good deal. So um, just a couple of quick housekeeping announcements before we uh, get started. At the top of the hour, 11, we're going to have a bell for those of you who are new. It's the school bell, and it's not an alarm, it's not a tornado. Um, if it's not at 11 o'clock, we'll have a different conversation. But at 11 o'clock when the bell rings, it's because the kids at school are changing rooms. So don't worry about it, we'll just keep going. Um, the other piece of housekeeping, and, and this is more of a thank you, is many of you visited the sponsor tables at the back of the room today, right? Um, if you're new to the group, what you need to know is that our sponsors are the people who make this possible and make it free. So can we give them a hand? And, uh, you know, it, I think somebody brought up to me today that we have kind of a diverse group of sponsors, and I want to point out why that is, okay? And I don't usually talk about this, but I think it's important for you to know that there are a lot of other people that would like to be sponsors that were not chosen. And there were people that we tried to get to be sponsors that chose not to. I mean, that happens too, right, for whatever reason. And we only have room for so many. And the ones that are here are here because, first and foremost, they are advocates and educators. That's why they're here. To give you information, to help make sure you're equipped and empowered and educated. And then secondarily, if you do business with them, guess what? All better. Right? All better. That, that's a bonus day for us as sponsors. But there are some people out there that want to be sponsors for the sole purpose of coming in and getting business from you. And those people are usually told that they aren't appropriate as sponsors because you have to be somebody who's willing to give, and the people in this room are servant leaders, and so I so appreciate them. So thank you again, sponsors, for doing this. All right? Yeah. Back in 2001, I believe it was, hired our first move manager. We were, had been selling real estate for a while, and we were working with a lot of people downsizing. And a lot of people moving into senior living communities or into smaller houses. And in 2000, there was no such thing as a move manager. I mean, there were a couple, but they weren't in Oklahoma. And I looked for people that did this for a living. Nobody did it. And so we hired Shonda, which you got, some of you met before she left and went to Colorado Springs to start her own new management business. And she was our new manager. She got right out of college and hired her with a master's in gerontology. And we basically self-taught ourselves how to help people move, right? Not like move into the truck, but get ready to move, right? So we did that for five years and then we sold our business we're gone nine years, came back about five or six years ago now, and looked for move managers again. And we found a few. Um, unfortunately, I didn't find the ones that are here with me today, or that would have been really good. Um, for Anya, it's fortunate because Anya became our move manager. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Some of you asked if this was a repeat session. It's a repeat topic, but it will not be a repeat conversation because we're going to talk today with some professional move managers, three of them, who do a variety of things that they'll share with you here in a moment. But before I bring them up, let me show you a couple of slides that you'll appreciate, okay? 
who do this type of service. So I'm going to bring up our ladies. Come on up and give them a hand.
how your estate liquidation is going to be managed. Yeah, we're going to get into detail. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, and just one more. Do you want me to put that water on the phone? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm too short for this chair. No, that's okay. That's all right. That's all right. The chairs are made for, for tall people. Yes. All right. No, that's all right. All right. So um, there was one other thing I was going to have you. Oh, so also Liz is a newer owner to this particular franchise. There was a previous owner. And yes. so can you talk about just when you took over this franchise and what you might have changed since then, or if that's important, you can talk Sure, about. yeah. Uh, I bought this business about almost, I'm almost at my 18 month anniversary. And one of the things that we really focused on is uh, the liquidation aspect of our business. We we know there's a lot of really great new managers and we've been partnering with new managers in the, in the, um, in the area, but we do see a huge need for uh, estate liquidations because the, the estate liquidation market is really changing. There are so many goods coming into the market that um, we're not seeing the prices that you would expect to see for your goods. And the traditional estate liquidators are not taking jobs. Like there's several of them that will not look at your your stuff unless they think they're gonna get twenty five thousand dollars worth of revenue for your things. So hold that thought. The room just went, <gasps> right? So hold that thought. So hang on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold, I'm gonna hold the thought because I, I, I don't want you to give away the form yet. So what I want you to hear about Liz, and the reason I asked her that question is because there are people out there that may say, oh, I heard about carrying transitions a few years ago. No, you didn't. You heard about that carrying transitions or you heard about it in Dallas or somewhere else. What you need to know is every franchise owner runs their business a little bit differently. And so don't take someone else's word for it, good or bad, in another market. Make sure that you meet with your local person. Yeah, and Nikki's bragging about me. I am. Nikki. I am. Because, you know, you don't always hear good things about some franchise owners, but, but that doesn't mean that. Because I had that problem. I kind of kept myself arm's length because I would heard some things. And then when I got together with them, I'm like, okay, that wasn't a fair assessment. Okay, you guys get what I'm saying? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and I just want to quickly say real quick, the reason I, I am 32 years retired from higher, a higher education executive, and when I was at OCU, and I've got some of my old OCU friends here, when, uh, and so when I was at OCU, the two things that I was really responsible for in the abstract were helping young people move from living at home to being independent. A huge lifestyle change in there, and their families too. And so when I thought about this business, well, that's, I'm doing the same thing for you. Because a lot of times when you're downsizing, that is a huge time in your life. So develop my company, we really focus on you developmentally. Like what's happening in your hearts? What's happening in your souls? Because it's hard. The other thing that I did was project manage huge events that required multiple coordination, coordination with multiple campus departments. So I am a project manager at heart. And that's what we do, because yeah. we look at your big project and we help you get through it. I picked a franchise, I could have done it on my own, but I picked a franchise because I'm not a business person. I'm a doer and I needed that structure. And so that's why it really helps me, help you. Perfect, and I'm glad you did that, by the way. <laughs> All right, good deal. Kimber, I'm always wanting to put an R in there, sorry. Kimber Bannon with Get Organized. Kimber, tell them who you are, why you got in this business. Good morning, uh, my name is Kimber Bannon. I'm with Get Organized. I'm an independent contractor. The company is based out of Dallas-Fort Worth. 
we are an organizing company that is NAPO certified. We are also senior lead managers with uh, NASA. So the first of all, the company saw a need for move managers and senior move managers because a lot of the homes that we were going into to organize were people who were getting ready to downsize and didn't, they didn't have resources. They didn't know it existed. They didn't know it was needed, but they knew they weren't gonna do it. <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason, and I think we're gonna cover some of the reasons why right. people use these services. Uh, me personally, um, I moved here beginning of 2017 from North Carolina. I retired from uh, active duty service in the Coast Guard in 2013, and I thought I was in my forever home. We've heard that before, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, I was only 48 years old, and I thought that's, that's my forever home. It had a master bedroom on the first floor. It had a nice yard. I was good. Now, so after having moved eight major moves in the last 25 years, I had gotten pretty good at it, and I downsized my 3,700 square foot house, and I got it all to fit in a pack 28 foot moving bed. I had to coordinate everything. The military had done something for me in the past, but I had to coordinate all of this, including to pay for it. And I was not paying to move 1946 uh, magazines that my dad had had. I'm not paying for that. I got paid by the past. So I downsized. Um, when I got here and, and I was retired, I got a little bored and I had to find a job. We've heard that a few times as well in this room. So I said, what am I good at? <laughs> Moving, downsizing, organizing. I married a man who has CDO, which is uh, obsessive compulsive disorder in alphabetical order. So he is extremely organized and tidy, and he made me shape up my ship. So when I found Get Organized, a company that had been in business for 12 years doing exactly what my passion was, I said that's the way I can serve. So that's what I chose to do. So did you notice a common trend uh, amongst the three of them, a pattern? What is it that they got into this business to do? Help to serve. It's not to make money. I, I promise you, it's not to make money. Yeah, right? Okay, so we're going to dive in. Um, these guys are going to answer some questions for us that I've prepared, and then you all are going to ask questions, as always. And so you have a pen and paper in front of you. You also have a little worksheet in front of you that has some space for you to write. We encourage you to use that. And you also have a, a handout that says myths and truths. That's a take-home, okay? That's a take-home sheet. We're not going to cover those specifically. That's a take-home sheet. And those come from the ladies here provided me with some of the top myths and truths that they noticed. So we, we're going to send those home with you, all right? So the first question I have for you all, and you, can, you don't have to answer in order. You can just answer as it strikes you, um, is about your client. Right, about your clients. So what is it that they usually need or want that they reach out for, like when they call you? Is it move management straight out of the gate or is it something different? How do people find you? Why are they calling you initially? What does that look like? Yeah, Kimber? Okay, so a lot of times people don't know 
and get organized offers move, moving services, move management or senior move management. But there's, their children sometimes do. <laughs> and so sometimes it's, uh, I had a client at Stillwater whose daughter had used an organizing services in Chicago. We're not in Chicago. Hallelujah. Right, yeah, different ballgame there, yeah. But she called us and said, hey, my dad's getting ready to move from Stillwater down to a golf community in Texas. I'm like, lucky dog, you know, great. He's been in that house 27 years. He won't get rid of anything. He has things that I don't even know existed. So we went and talked to him, who was the client, not his daughter, and told him what we did and how we did it. Took a look at his stuff, you know, kind of gave him a realistic, truthful assessment of what he was looking at, and uh, you know, so. So they came to you as looking for, she knew organizers might be able to help with this. She did, and that usually people who come and find us for this are busy. They have some physical limitations sometimes, uh, young or old. I mean, plenty of people get knee surgery at right. younger and younger ages. And they can't, they can't, they don't have the time, they don't have the resources, they don't have the, the, the they don't know where to start. And the stamina, I think, was the other one you Huge. Yeah. 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 So, okay. so people find us kind of sometimes by accident and sometimes through a friend. Um, and, and a lot of people, I'm glad that there's so many here because they don't even know this service exists. That's right. Yeah, this is for some people the first time they've ever heard of in management. Yeah. Liz, you were going to jump in there. Um, yeah, so a lot of times my typical first initial call comes from the children, adult children of folks who are in the need of downsizing, or maybe they've passed away and they've got, their, their parents have passed away and they've got an, a home that's vacant and I know this will surprise you, but it's full of stuff. <laughs> and they, these adult children have jobs, careers. I had one client the other day say to me, Liz, I cannot take another day off work or I'm gonna lose my job. So I need your help. And so those are the kinds of uh, clients that we help out is um, adult, well, we help the broad range, we help the individual who owns the home. Uh, I have a client right now who's 84 years old. She is very respectful of her children's time and she hired us to help her move and liquidate her house because she wanted to get rid of the yard work. She was facing a home that had, you know, she said my refrigerator broke down, blah, blah, all this stuff happened. Well, I'm tired of that. I'm, I'm gonna move to a condo where I don't have to worry about that, or I'm gonna move to retirement community. And so we go in and help, help uh, get that home ready for the market. Awesome, thank you. All right, Anya, how do people find you? So um, people will find, I get a lot of word of mouth lately, um, doing presentations like this, um, I have uh, people, I do workshops. I just got a client from a workshop that I did. And um, there's just, a lot of it's word of mouth right now for me. I'm getting people who... We at the senior communities as well, right? Yeah, the yeah. senior communities have been um, keeping me super busy as well. And I, you know, I get the people that say, hey, I heard you're the let it go lady. I have a lot of stuff and I want you to get rid of it. <laughs> You're forgetting one major contributor to move management. People who want to sell their... They want to sell their house. <laughs> yes. So I forgot for a moment who she works for. Yeah. <laughs> this is the truth. <laughs> yeah, they do. They come from because they want to sell their house, and we're a turnkey process. 
So they start with me and then it just rolls effortlessly over to the real estate side. Anya's always so worried about whether she's going to say something right or wrong. I can't imagine why. <laughs> um, so they come for organizing, I hear you saying. They come for real estate. They come for selling a house. They come for, I need to liquidate stuff. So there's different people reach out to you for different reasons. And maybe not necessarily, they don't call and say, hey, I need move management, do they? Nobody thinks. They say, I don't know where to, I want to move. I'm moving to a senior community and I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed. Just the thought of it makes me not sleep at night. Yeah. I'll just know. stay here forever. Yeah. It's just easier for me to stay put than have to go through the stress of yeah. the process. Yeah, overwhelmed. Somebody told me the other day that, that um, they, they have a house to sell. That house has been empty or not lived in, but it's been full of stuff for eight years. Eight years. And I said, tell me why it's taken so long for you to deal with this. And the woman said, I just felt overwhelmed and I didn't know where to start. So what we're giving you here today is a place to start. Okay, any, th any of these three ladies can sit down and at least give you a place to start. All right, here's your next question. Um, so we kind of alluded to this, but I want you to paint a, a, a full picture of the challenges people face with this process. Besides just overwhelm, kind of give me the top two or three things that cause people to be in overwhelm. Does that make sense? Um, I, I would say probably, and this might be uh, not be the norm, or it might not sound right, but a lot of times it's guilt. Like I have a client right now that has you know, all of the stuff from her great-grandmother and her mother and the thought of moving means that she's not going to be able to take that stuff with her and she feels guilty of getting rid of it. Um, so I would say guilt and the decision-making of knowing that they can't take everything and um, and there's there's a, a point where, they, where you have acceptance of what your life is going to be like now and it might not be how your life was 10, 15 years ago and so it's transitioning into the Ani now versus the Ani 10 years ago. That tends to be a struggle. I, I had a client recently who um, was really struggling to let go of stuff that she had not worn or used in 10 years, but that 10 years ago, for her, that life defined who she was, and now she's struggling to, to accept that she's retired and she's not doing that stuff anymore. So on my end, I see a lot of, of that. Yeah, you just got rid of some clothes. Anya's been doing a little downsizing. <laughs> I did, and you know, I'm mean, gonna be honest, because um, a lot of times my clients will say, well, you don't know what it's like, or you haven't been in this state, right? So um, I have recently lost a little over 40 pounds, so it's taken me down three sizes, thank you. And, um, so this weekend, you know, Nikki and I had, had a conversation about, she's like, Anya, you're swimming, you're close. Okay. okay, so I went, I thought this is going to be easy. This is a prideful, I'm excited. I went to that closet and it was some of the hardest stuff I've ever, I was so emotional. I had to coach myself as if I was coaching a client, right? Because those clothes were a backup plan for me. So if it didn't go well with my journey, I could always fall back. I will say, I, it was about a 35 minute conversation with myself. <laughs> Uh, I was nice to myself. Oh, that's fast. Right? Well, so I, I got the clothes out immediately that day. Because that's what I tell my clients. If you make a decision on something hard, sometimes it's better to get it on. So I got those clothes gone within two hours. And I woke up the next day with such regret. So I couldn't get it back. And I was like, what did I do? 
But then I'm fine with it now. So I, it's hard. It is hard to let go of the even clothes that you have memories in, that you went out to certain events in, that defined that you. defined who that I you was. spent a lot of money on. That I spent a lot and it defined who I was. So it's not easy, but it can be done. It's not always fun, but you can do it. And at the end, I'm really happy. I'm, I'm good with them being gone. Me too. I think sometimes we forget how primitive our brains are and we as a species are attached to our domicile, our home, and our stuff and that's protective. Like that's, if you think about going back to caveman days, we're going to protect our cave and we're going to protect our stuff because that's what we need to survive. Well. I promise you that everyone in this room has stuff they don't need for survival in their homes, right? I opened it, my son moved out, my 27-year-old son finally moved out permanently. And I still, he moved out. She said permanently and a bunch of people shook their heads. <laughs> God willing. But he, but I still have not tackled his bedroom yet to turn it into the guest room that I've been wanting to turn it into because I open the door and then I close it. It still s smells like him, but I, 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 just, I can't, it's, it's like you look at the mountain and you just don't even want to tackle it. So I think there are two things. It's the primitive part of us that doesn't want to let go of, we don't even know, we, it's not even conscious, and the enormity, what we perceive of as the enormity of the task. Yeah. Which is where you guys come in. Breaking it down. Yes, yeah. yes. So we can solve that problem. People like us can solve that problem for you because we don't see it as an unending task. We see the start of the project and the end of the project, and by God, we're going to get you through that. And we also see that. Um, oh my! I just lost my train of thought. Can you do that? We see. Well, the start and finish. It's not emotional for you. It's not. Yeah, yeah. that's right. We're Switzerland. <laughs> we don't. We don't have any attachment to your things. Now I get I get real excited when I see that you have things that will be fun to sell, but I I'm excited about helping you find a new appreciator of that great collection that you have. But we can I've literally sat in people's living rooms and they've showed me everything they own and told me where they got it, and that was helpful. That was cathartic because I tell oh I got that when I was on vacation in Tahiti donate or sell or trash. So but 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 <laughs> but I can't it's special. But there's yeah just don't don't um, underestimate that primitive part of your brain that won't let that go. Yeah. And challenge it. Open up your minds and say to yourselves, I'm not gonna let this get in my way. Because the reality is you're gonna be so much happier. Have you ever actually cleaned a closet and then looked at it and felt so good. You gotta, you gotta. The women are all saying yes. yes. The men are going, nope, never done that. We have a garage. So you've got to hold on to that good feeling because at the end, it, it, sometimes when we have clients who are really struggling, we'll take pictures every day of the progress and then you can look back and see the progress and it's really gratifying. Yeah. Nice. Kimberly, you want to add anything to that? So my dad's turning 82 this month. He works full-time, he has a uh, much younger wife, which I think keeps his stamina up, 
Um, he owns his own home. He loves to cook. He is an extremely spry guy. But he doesn't like to acknowledge he has limitations. He still is the, you know, fighter pilot that he was in his younger days, that he can do anything and he's invincible. Bravo to him. He has limitations, okay? He has had a triple bypass. He is not as sure on his feet anymore. He has lost muscle mass from not being that very young man. And do you think he knows it? No. Not only no, but <clears throat> no. However, he, we see that and all of us have methods of allowing people to feel in charge and in control of their move and their life and everything else and their decisions by helping them recognize that, you know, it's okay to keep that memory, but not necessarily to keep every souvenir from JD or this, that, or the other. Um, people don't always realize that their stamina isn't quite what they think it is until they start packing, unpacking, moving things. Um, they don't realize their physical limitations, and they do get overwhelmed because it's a big deal. If you've had kids that left home and didn't come back, it's a big deal for them and for you. And if they come back, it's an even bigger deal, right? It's a transition. And I think that that transition is hugely psychologically overwhelming. So that's where we can come in and help. So speaking of the adult children, let me just ask this question of the panel and see if you guys all agree that so sometimes the biggest challenge isn't getting rid of their own stuff. It's getting rid of other people's stuff. Don't let it come into your house. Don't, if your kids leave stuff there, give them a date that has to be gone. Otherwise, guess where it goes? No. Where, where does it go? Goodwill. Yeah, come get it by March 30th. Or the or, charity of your choice. Or we're going to donate it. And how many people in the room are sitting here going, oh, I can't do that. That's their stuff. Once it's been at my house longer than a month, it's mine. That's my rule. If you leave it at my house, and you know it's there, and I've told you to come get it, if it's there longer than a month, it's mine, I can do whatever the heck I want to with it. So, that's my rule. But I think, who else's stuff do people have that's hard to get rid of? Their parents' stuff. Um, so, whether, whether you, who are downsizing, still have your parents' items in your home, because they worked hard for them, they were part of your childhood, you remember that rocking chair, well guess what, I mean, bless somebody else with it. If your kids don't want it, which more than likely they don't, uh, bless somebody else with it, because there's plenty of people who, who really don't necessarily have those fair family heirlooms and, and desires. And would appreciate them, yeah. yeah. Anya, you're looking at me like you want to add something. Yeah, <laughs> so I think this is the, probably the topic that is the biggest uh, hold up for some of my clients is having family items, having your mom and dad stuff. And kind of what I talk about with my clients is when you give someone something, you don't expect them to keep it forever. Um, you give it to them, you want them to enjoy it. And there gets a point where if, you're, if it's in boxes in your attic, you're not enjoying it. And 
I'm a big proponent of letting someone else make new memories with it. Um, we've had clients before that have donated their great-grandmother's or their mother's china and crystal, and it's gone to homes where, you know, it's a younger couple with kids, and now they're going to make new memories with it. But, you know, it, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in, why well, I don't want to upset them, or I don't want to upset their memory, because um, that stuff can really, really weigh you down. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna add to this, Liz. This is the emotional side of it. I don't want to let go because emotionally, I feel like I should keep it. Liz, how many people do you hear say, "Mom said that China was worth a lot of money"? Yeah. So now what? Yeah. So all of you probably have things you think are really valuable because your mom or dad told you they're really valuable. And guess what? Times have changed. So we don't dine the way we used to dine. We we don't, we have microwaves, so a lot of our china we don't even want because it's got a little silver or gold rim around it, we can't put it in the microwave. Well, you can, it's not, not, not recommended. Not recommended. You do and you regret it. Um, so, unfortunately, because, oh, and I'll give you another example. Um, books. You all have shelves full of books. And guess what? People don't read books. They read. They don't read books anymore, they read pads. So there's so many items, china, crystal, old televisions, old radios, silver, okay, silver, silver plates. But silver, oh, but silver's worth something. Yeah, the silver's worth what you melt it down for. Unfortunately, it's, it's- This I, is the truth series. This is truth, and it breaks my heart because I talk to clients. I talk to clients and they have the most beautiful, beautiful things that have been passed down. I have seen beautiful sterling silver from 1879 that I could that I could get the value of the way. That's what for the client. And it's heartbreaking. And it's kind of the irony of our uh, of, of the generation of, of seniors that you preserved your China. You only used it once or twice a year. You made sure that you were the only one who touched it. You didn't want the kids to chip it. And you, you know, I've got pieces like that that I've never let my kids touch. And I use once a year, and it's so delicate. But the irony is nobody wants to buy that. And the ones that do are not going to pay very much for it. So you've got, and the other heartbreaking thing is your children probably only want one or two things from you. They do not want a lot of your stuff. And I see this so many, I mean, so many times my clients get bogged down in that remorse or that regret that they, they have things they want to pass to their kids or their grandkids. I do see a ray of hope. Grandkids are getting a little smarter. And they're starting to see. So great kids, great grandkids, they may, that might be an avenue for you to release some things to the family. I always tell my clients in liquidation, do not keep anything in liquidation because you think it's gonna make money. Because it's probably not. 100% of my clients don't think I make them enough money. That's all there is to it. Wait a minute, I want you to repeat that. 100% of your clients think what after a sale? That I haven't made enough money for them. <laughs> it's not that they're dissatisfied with what we did, or they think we didn't do a good job. It's that the stuff in your, with the value in your head is not worth the value in the market. Okay, so can I give an example, or you give the example, of the client we worked with together? Yes. That you did an online auction for. Yes, so 
Nikki, in fact, I think Curtis, Curtis Arbest was a little bit yeah, involved. So we have, was involved in that too. Yeah, so this is a really cool example because we have uh, several sponsors in this room who are um, uh, involved with this one client. It's good or bad, it depends on how you look at it. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, Nikki gave me a call and said, Liz, I've got a client. I've been turned down four times. Anya had four people come out. Yeah, Anya had four people come to this woman's house to do an estate sale. She was turned down four times. Because remember what I told you that people won't take an estate sale unless it's $25,000 worth of revenue. Now there's companies that will take it for less, um, but you gotta wonder how they're making any money when you figure out how much labor is involved with preparing and prepping a sale. So, this was with location too, so that's my opinion. People were turning her down because she was located in uh, Piedmont, and she had a lot of stuff. It was a lot. Um, I, I can't clinically call it a hoard, but technically kind of a hoard. So we, uh, carrying transitions, one of the reasons I bought this business is we have a very unique liquidation method, and it's really, it's, it's a virtual estate sale. So what we do is we will come in and prep a sale and put it online, like, a, like an online auction. So you, you, instead of people coming to your home, they see your possessions online. And so we were able to do this uh, online auction method for this client. We generated, which I thought was a huge, it was like eleven, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 sale at the end. She was, I was able to cut her a check and um, she, her house was emptied and we were ready then to put it on the market. Which now, Anya, what did you tell her she was gonna have to do before we found Liz through Arvest? Uh, we told her she was gonna have to donate everything because we couldn't find anyone that would, uh, take it. That would take it on. So she was gonna have to donate it. Liz made her somewhere around six to $7,000 in her pocket, and she was mad. <laughs> mad. I was trying to forget that part. <laughs> she was mad because she didn't get her enough money. She was, she was angry and, and unhappy. And you know, it, we, we did an amazing, I was thrilled. We were, all thrilled. We were getting values we would never have expected from these items. Um, so, so I'm gonna also say that she was the exception to the rule. Most yes, people yeah. are not like she was, that aggravated. But to your point, 100% of most people think that they will get more than they actually are able to, right? Do, yeah. do you think that she thought she could have gotten all of that 11,000 if she had done it herself? Partly. How many of you want to have a yard sale? Well, no, she didn't think that. Her children thought that. Ah. Her children thought if we do it's this ourselves. Yeah. Let me just yeah. tell you, let me give you a little example. If I go into a 2,500 square foot home that has an average amount of stuff, it's going to take me a, a crew of four people, seven hours a day for four days to get your sale ready. Now add that up. That's 28 hours. That's all. That's over 115 hours of labor, right there. Think how much money that costs. Then we got two or three retail days with two or three people, three people, four people in your house. So the labor alone to sell your things can exceed the value of your stuff. Okay, so imagine that for a second. And this is why we only deal with certain estate liquidators, because she's gonna go out to your house and be honest and say, at the end of this sale, Tom, you're, make, you're gonna have to write me a check. And you're gonna go, say what? You're gonna sell all my stuff. 
and you're going to take a percentage, and then I'm going to write you a check. And Liz, do you do that? Like, I mean, do you? What do you do if somebody if that's their situation? There, there have been occasions where, well, what I do is I'm really honest with you right at the beginning and say, probably the value of your things is not going to match the labor costs. And at that point, we have a conversation about other alternatives. Maybe we could donate, maybe. But the other consternating variable in all this is most of us are pretty socially responsible, and we don't want all of our stuff to go into a landfill. So having these sales and passing them on to people that will use them or resell them is a really socially responsible thing. So we have a conversation, and yes, some clients have written me checks, but I explain to them, you are basically offsetting the cost to clean up. You're using your stuff to offset the cost to clean out your house, to get ready for your biggest asset, which is to sell your home. If you can't get your home ready to sell, you're losing money. If you, if for some reason, like I've seen clients who've had some kind of health incident, they have to be, they have to uh, relocate to a retirement community. And Nikki told the story about the student, uh, the, the client who um, has house that vacant for eight years. So you're paying insurance, you're paying taxes, you're probably paying lawn care, you're doing all this money for something that's not giving you any value. So it's going to cost money. It's going to cost money one way or another to have your home empty. The best thing, I love it when I can have a sale and write and give that client a check to say, look, you've got a little bit of stuff, but, but the big news is we emptied your house and now you can put your house on the market. Thank you. Kimber, did you want to add to that or the, the No, I just I think I think a lot of people say, Well you, you you just sold all my stuff for X amount of money and what do you mean, you know? I I ask people when I'm doing just even a regular organizing job, would you like to eBay, donate, consign, yard sale, dumpster? I, what what would you like, like to do? Well I'd love to have a yard sale, but I don't want to do anything. Well, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd love somebody to come and throw money at me, too, and not do anything. But yeah, if it's, it's not a lot of work. So what you're telling me is that if there's a not-for-profit out there to be created, it's people who do sales for free. So if you want to go out to a not-for-profit organization could do that for people, make them money for free. Well, and my team, the team, the folks that I hire are basically almost doing it for free when you think about their hourly wage, which isn't very much. And I'm hiring folks who are professionally retired folks who just like to have fun and dig through people's stuff and organize and they maybe have a little OCD or whatever. So, you know, I am not paying my people 30 bucks an hour. So it, even if you think about, you know, a cost of 15 to $20 an hour, it's expensive to clean your house out. Okay, so hang on, I'm gonna stop you there because we're talking about money. So yeah. I'm going to shift gears and we're going to talk about that. Because I know there's a lot of people in the room going, well, how much is this going to cost me to downsize, right? right? And in this room, you know, there's nothing off limits. We just tell it like it is. And there's no right or wrong, and you have to just take it in and decide for yourself if that makes financial sense. So uh, Kimber, I'm going to start down there and work our way down. And we're going to just kind of tell the group what they can expect and you can talk about it in terms of segments if you want, like organizing versus move management versus the other services. 
and kind of give them an idea of what to expect if they were to hire somebody like you to do this. Okay, so so we we tend to approach every job with a certain formula. We use the SPACE acronym, which is sort, purge, assign, containerize, and evaluate. Each one of those steps has different different functions depending upon the client. And before you panic, she's got a handout. I have a handout. That has all that on it. You can pick it up. In better detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so our company, we come into your home on a consultation. We're going to talk about cost, right? Yeah. Okay, we come into your home on a consultation. I would spend two hours in your home. Some of that time is talking to you, finding out what your particular needs are, expectation management on both sides, uh, tour spaces, take a look at what we're looking at, open stuff, open up. drawers, <clears throat> under the sink, look at really, because some people are masters at hiding every speck of clutter in their house. And it looks great, but when you open a cabinet, look out. <laughs> so there's a charge for that. I know a lot of companies don't charge for that consultation time. What's involved in that is the two hours that I spend at your home with you. You also get a rather extensive bit of research after that and a follow-up email with a complete plan. So if you're, you decide that your kids are gonna come from Chicago down to here to, to do it all for you and give up their weekly salary for that, then you don't have to pay me to do it. But I'm still compensated for my time. Uh, I know a lot of industries who do not charge for that consultation and that, that planning and research time end up owing a salary to somebody that they had no bankable bill hours for. So that is $150. Basically, you're getting about five hours minimum of my time. To about two hours in the home. Two hours in the home, about five hours total. And you're getting a plan that's written and in place should you choose to implement it, should you choose to give it to your grandkid to implement, or you should choose to hire us. Okay, so I'm hiring you. Now okay. what happens? Then it's an hourly basis. We don't charge by the job because we can't determine how quick your decision-making skills are going to be. So uh, one professional organizer or mover is $65 an hour. The second is $45 an hour. All of our moving, packing, those kinds of jobs do require two, two people on them. So you're looking at $110 an hour. It's a lot of money, okay? Um, and we're not gonna be able to pack everything that you own. Let's say you already downsized and you're ready to go. You're a minimalist from way back. You live in a VW microbus. We may still not pack everything. There's gonna be specialty items, uh, 53 inch television, uh, some pieces of furniture that we're not gonna create. That the movie companies. A $45,000 piece of artwork. Right, I'm not gonna take, I have liability insurance and, and right. all that. But there are limits on that. I don't wanna ruin your stuff anyway. So there's some things that, that, but for the most part, just about everything you can imagine we can, we can pack. And it doesn't include the dirty cat box, the dirty ashtray, the trash in the trash can, that your packers from a moving company bless their soul because they're all really good at their job, they'll pack everything. 
Yeah, but they won't, they won't clean out the ashtray or the pack no, no, no. box. They'll just wrap it in paper and put it in the box. Everything in the box will stick to high heaven. So, I, I mean, Nikki, does that... Yeah, that is Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, so there's the bell. Perfect. All right, Liz, do you want to go next? Yeah, I'm going to talk about... My prices are real similar to hers in terms of labor hours, about $45 an hour for labor, for packing and moving. And, but I'm going to talk to you about the liquidation aspect, and I do feel a little bit differently than other companies. So, and that's because we do a little bit differently. Um, my goal is an estate, in the estate sale is to empty your house. A lot of companies, in fact, if you're looking for companies to do your estate sales, ask the question, what does my house look like when you finish the sale? Very important. Because I don't know how many clients I've had who call me and that's the first thing they ask because their next door neighbor had a sale and the place looked like a white tornado had gone through. So our job is to empty your house. So we charge, you know, I can't give you a, I have to, first thing I do is I come in and I do a free one hour consultation to look at your house, decide, I'm looking at, I'm looking at a couple things, I'm looking at the volume, how much stuff do you have? I'm looking at the, the value. Do you have things that are very, very marketable, very collectible, or is it garden variety stuff? And so my ranges are a dollar to really, in an extremely hoarding situation, the range could be up to $4 an hour. For, I mean, $4 a square foot. So it could be one to $4 a square foot, depending on uh, the, the condition of the home and the value of the volume, it's usually more in the dollar range, so dollar per square foot to do what I call sort and organizing. That's to come in and take all the expired um, vitamins out of your cabinets and throw them away, dispose of them. That gets the, the hazardous waste out of your house. That gets everything out that we're not selling. It gets your sale prepped. And then we charge a, a commission that ranges between 30 and 40%, depending on if you have a high value items, like if you've got a Picasso, I'll probably only charge you 20%. You know, because 20% of a million is pretty good. But if you just have garden variety stuff, I'm probably gonna charge you 35%. And we have, you know, a lot of the expenses we're providing, or a lot of the amenities we're providing for you are liability insurance, employees that are W2 employees, they're not people of my, you know, my, uh, cousin who likes to help every once in a while. These are folks who are trained, they are covered by workers' comp, and we have liability insurance. So all of those expenses cost me money to do business, and so I'm gonna pass that on. So dollar to four dollars a square foot, depending on your situation for the sort and organize. Then, of course, there's some other expenses. Um, I might charge, I might uh, take some money out of it for the cost of the daily Oklahoma ad, or some marketing that we might need, special marketing. And also there will be a three and a half percent convenience charge when people use credit cards. So that comes out of the, the total revenue. So there's a lot of expenses that come out. But, but what about dumpsters? Did you want to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, dumpsters, great. So, so we, if, if you're in Oklahoma City proper, we work really hard with you, and, and your timeline will permit, we'll work really hard to coordinate your sale or your liquidation with Big Junk Day. Big, like, they call it bulk waste. I think we, all of us commoners call it Big Junk Day. So we work really hard to use that service to save you money, but like in Piedmont, they don't have that. So we had to bring a dumpster, dumpsters, a roll-off dumpster, uh, anywhere from $350 to $600 for each load. And that has delivery, 10 days, and then take it away and then take it to the dump. 
And that's assuming they need it. If, if, if you need it. Yeah. yeah, most, in Oklahoma City proper, very, very, the only time I really need a dumpster is if it's a hoard. We usually try to use big jump day. Okay, so let me be clear. So there's a percentage of the proceeds that you charge, and then there's a, kind of the sort process that you so that's a flat fee and you basically estimate that when you go out you give them that amount right, right. that's going to cover labor i'm yeah. going to go into your home and i'm going to say okay you've got a moderately clutter-free home a dollar per square foot you know two thousand square foot house it's going to cost me that's to cover my labor and expenses and supplies and prep the sale yeah and then your profits come from the percentage of the right. sale okay got it right. all right and if they have questions you guys can ask them right. somebody cover it well. if, all right. we, if we do an auction online auctions sometimes percentages less but we also get uh nice thing about the auctions are the buyer there's there's a thing called the buyer's premium so the person who's buying your items also pays 15 percent buyer's premium so that's that helps right you can charge a lower percentage for the seller which is the buyer right yeah i bought something from the auction she did so i could see how the process worked and it was smooth it's beautiful so, yeah all right, on your pricing, how does it work for you? So for me, um, I start with a pre-about process. So I come over, I do a consultation with you. There is no charge for my consultation. Um, we'll sit down and kind of get a game plan together, see when you're gonna move. Um, and then if you decide to hire me, we go ahead and start scheduling what I call downsizing appointments. That's when I help you kind of go through everything, decide what you're gonna be able to take with you, what you're gonna leave back, we identify um, everything that you're taking with you with uh, blue tape, so that way when the movers and packers come in, they know that blue means it's going to go with you to your new home. Um, I orchestrate bringing in the movers to give you an estimate for how for how much it's going to cost to pack and move, and then we bring them in to pack and move. I oversee that um, along with them, and then once you get moved over, I am unpacking you, putting your stuff away, hanging pictures removing boxes, getting you all settled in, and then handling the liquidation part, whether it's contacting Liz or someone else to come in and do that. Then we, um, I take care of getting the apart or the house cleaned, um, and then we pass over the real estate side. So my- a range of pricing. So uh, my packages start, at, and just so you know, I am not hourly. I am it's as many hours as you need. Um, I kind of like to be able to go in have a cup of coffee with you if we need to, have a piece of pie, talk about how you're feeling that day. I'll tell you a couple cute stories about my cats. And so it's so that we're not rushing through and you're not watching the clock. Um, so my packages start at $2,500 for the whole process and um, can go upwards of 3,500 to 4,000. And it really depends on how large your house is and if are you moving into a house or are you truly downsizing going into a smaller house or in a perfect community. And how much pie you eat. And how much pie we eat. Um, and by the way, I, I'm going to add to what Anya said. One of the reasons that we can do it that way is because really, again, we don't do this for the money. Our services are provided for the benefit of selling your house. The faster your house is empty and the faster you can get it clean, the faster we can get it on the market and make you money on the house, right? So our services are not hourly because frankly um we want it done right now obviously she does that on your timeline okay so uh, i'm going to open it up for questions because I'm, I'm at the top of the hour so you guys ready anything you want to add before i open it up for questions i i just like to add that all of the costs 
all of the expenses of, of this transition can be partially mitigated by starting sooner than later. Yeah, because when you're trying to crunch it all into a two-week period, it takes a lot longer. Go ahead and get rid of the S and H green stamps now. You don't need them. Really? We can't cash those in anymore? No. They should have gotten the toaster a long time ago. Um, it's, and also, I, I might say, I, I know I have one more question on there about, this seems like a lot of money. It seems like a lot of money. Why should someone... Why would they not do this? I mean, why, why would they do this? Why would they pay that amount of money? Why? I, I think that, you know most of my clients are wanting to do it because they don't want to inconvenience our adult children. They have kids of their own. They have lives of their own. They don't want to depend on um, uh, on their schedule. And and for a lot of my clients, too, they haven't made a move for 25, 30 years. Physically, they're not able to do as much as they they could before. Maybe physically they're not able to. They might have some cognitive issues that are not allowing them to uh, make decisions as quickly as they want to be. Or spouse. Or spouse. Yeah. Um, and, and I had a client yesterday who goes, you know, I'm, I'm just happy not having to do it because I worked and I'm retired and gosh darn it, I'm going to pay someone else to do it. And he literally left at 8 o'clock in the morning the day of the, the move. He and his wife left at 8 o'clock in the morning and they did not come back until 6 p.m. And how we moved them, we had their whole apartment all set up with them, minus six boxes that I did yesterday. And he was, he was like, I should have paid you more. And I said, well, you can cut me a check if you want it for more. But he, he just didn't want to do it. He's paying for the convenience. And his wife couldn't do it. And his wife couldn't do it, right? Could not do it. Liz, why would or somebody do this or not do this? Well, in, on, yeah. In my in-person estate sales or on my online auction estate sales, I'll have between four and 600 people looking at your stuff. Because I have a name in the community, I have marketing venues, and so that's one thing, is you're never gonna be able to generate that kind of market flow through your, on your own. The other reason why is um, I know what your stuff is worth. And I know where, when there's a treasure that you may not know is a treasure because the market changes the market for, I call it tertiary goods. You've got retail level, you've got eBay level, and then you have personal possession level. And the market for those goods change rapidly. So what was hot today is not hot tomorrow. And we are constantly looking at all that stuff and knowing what's got. So we don't want you to be like looking at Antiques Roadshow one day and thinking, oh my gosh, that was my painting that just sold for $50,000. So you, you wanna use our expertise because you, you, may have some, you may have a treasure in the attic, but also we can get the most value for your stuff. Yeah, and get the house empty. Yeah, and get it out. It, yeah. Like I said, four people, four days for a 2,000 square foot house. That's a lot of labor. And that's working straight through. You don't have that time. Imagine doing it yourself, yeah. Uh, Kimber, good reasons for people to not do it themselves. Well, I don't want to move myself. I mean, it has nothing to do necessarily with being incapable of doing it yourself. But I'm going to the dentist after this, and I'm, that's not a do-it-yourself job. <laughs> okay, I know when to hire a professional. Um, moving is 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 a, there's a lot of bits and pieces, and when you can have somebody that is the conductor of all those bits and pieces, 
so that you can make the decisions that really matter, like where you're moving or you know what you're gonna take with you. If somebody else can handle all of those other little aspects for you, why wouldn't you do it yourself? I think our generation is super ready for that kind of leverage. Uh, leverage, um, you know, sign me up, I'm ready to move into independent living because I don't ever want to change an air filter again in my house or a light bulb or anything. But put aside the pride and let the experts take care of it because we, it's a, a lot of moving parts. I love my, my uh, the owner of Keller Williams used to say, there's no job too small to subcontract. Yep. And this is a big job, so. All right, questions, who's got one, right here? Under, under the premise that we all overvalue our apartment, our own car possessions. Sure. What, what percentage of your sales are breaking even or cost money? Oh, good question, okay. So the question is, Liz, what percentage of your sales either break even or cost you money, the consumer money? Only about, I'm gonna say less than 10% of the sales I do actually cost the clients money. Now, well, if, yeah, I, ask. if I think about a break even is like less than three or four hundred dollars that I write to them, okay. yeah, I would say probably 50%, and I would say about another, so another 40%, I'm writing the client a check for over five hundred dollars. Okay, okay. five hundred, and I've written checks for six, ten, I mean, goes up, so if that helps. So be, look, be clear though, she's the exception to the rule. She's gonna tell you coming in that this may not be to your in your best interest. There are some estate liquidators out there, it's a surprise when they're giving you an invoice. So make sure that you understand. Can I tell a real quick story about that? I got a call the other day from a woman who was living in a 1,000 square foot condo. She had two weeks to move and the, the uh, she had contracted with the estate sale company. They bailed on her at the last minute and she was desperate. She called me. I was able to do an auction. Those people should have never, ever said, I'm gonna do your estate sale because it was a thousand square foot condo. Who's gonna, how are you gonna fit hundred people in that condo? So be careful. People will tell you stuff, they will bail on you. I'm not talking about any one person, I'm just saying, estate liquidations are, un, the whole business is unregulated. So you just gotta be yeah. cautious. Do your due diligence, yeah. Okay, so I saw the woman here in green, yeah. Thank you. Children would like to have his stuff. Your husband's not here, right? No. Yeah. Okay. I know them well enough that they're going to feel pressure to take the stuff and turn around and sell. So, so what do you do? Yeah. What do I? What do you tell your husband? The kids don't want your stuff. Okay. So here's the her in her. So her husband, on the other hand, thinks his kids or grandkids are going to want his things, and she can't seem to convince them otherwise. So how do you strategically do that? Well, I can share with you what one family did. <coughs> um, they decided to have their an online auction, and they invited the whole family to be part of the bidding, and then that way the winner took all, whoever wanted it, and so it really became market driven, and. The family was able to get what they wanted. The, the the clients who actually could use the money instead of your kids. I've seen families. Estate, I was at a, state, uh, a, a consultation the other day. There was very little left to sell, and those 
the, the adult children had taken so much stuff that there was nothing left to sell, and they were concerned because they didn't know what their mom was going to do about not having enough money. So that's another side of the coin, you know. So that's one option. Another option is just have a family meeting and start talking out loud. I don't know that we talk about this enough in our families. Kimber. That's okay. Let me let Kimber had something I wanted. She so so when you ask them. I mean, just be very frank. Ask them. Is this something that you would like to have? And if you think you're going to guilt them into taking it, and that they're going to turn around and sell it, just explain to your husband that when you give a gift, it is now theirs to do whatever they want to do with it. I'm a quilter, and I give quilts to a few very special people. If they choose to use it as the cat bed, that's their choice. Even if it's an heirloom. If you, when you give something to somebody, the act is the gift. If they turn around and sell the china for, you know, a pawnet or whatever, so be it. So your husband needs to do that with a good conscience, because it's very possible that your children will accept things out of, oh, she wants me to take this. My dad said, well, I guess grandpa's old, you know, Dresser's going to end up on big trash day. Trying to guilt me to take it. And I said, it's broken. It doesn't fit in my house. I don't want it. They should be as frank with you as you can be with them. And that's hard, but. Anya. Yeah, so maybe what you could do is get a couple different, like even sticky notes, purple for Jim, green for Jane, and allow them, when, and maybe your husband's not there when this happens, allow them to go through. And if they want something, mark it that they want it. And when he comes back, and he, you can just let him know they marked what they wanted. They had the opportunity to go through and take a look. Another thing that if he has, so I'm one of uh, 37 grandchildren on my for my grandparents. And when my grandma, when my grandma uh, went to a nursing home, she gifted each one of us something out of her house. And it had a special story with it, and she told us the story. I still have my little cat, still have to remember the story. So if it's something that he feels passionate about them having, maybe he can choose one item for everyone and share why he chose that story. If that's not his deal, because like my dad wouldn't do that, then I would just give them the sticky notes and have them go through. And if they want it, and then you can say, listen, they didn't want anything. We gave them the opportunity, and, and and it's okay. So guys, keep in mind that the things that people usually want are the things that they have a memory with. So if my great-grandfather had a pocket watch, and he had and he used that pocket watch, then my grandfather appreciated that pocket watch because he remembered it as his childhood. And then my dad, he may have remembered it, but if it's in a glass case sitting in someone's china hut, and you try to give it to them, they go, what the heck do I need that for? because they have no attachment to the memory. It's not that they don't appreciate the fact that it meant something to great-great-grandpa, but they have no direct connection with that. My brother would take something like that and to take it to the pawn shop to see how much he could get for it. Right? That, right. Right. And that's gonna be true for the majority of the room. So I think you have to prepare yourself emotionally for that potential letdown and know that it's not personal. It's not personal. Yeah. Okay, so who, I saw another hand go up, so I'm gonna get Bill and then I'll come back here, okay? Yes. Uh, can you guys address the, an on-site option where uh, somebody comes in and they 
and we are diabolical about these lots, we will put a very desirable item with a less desirable item so that it sells because there's a big tension between making you money and getting your house empty. Because so, you don't want stuff left. Okay, I bought a lot at that sale. And there was one item in that lot that I wanted for my dad's liquor store. And I bought that lot of five or six little items. And I got I went to pick them up. And I'm like, what the heck is this? It was like this random box. And I thought, well, crap. I, she said, they tell you, you have to take everything in a lot. <laughs> so I loaded it in my car. And I got to my house. And that thing went straight to the dumpster. Right. And the other items I kept. Right. But you didn't have to pay her to haul it to off. Haul it off. So then so we put everything to lots. We have a, a special system that we photograph the lots. We, we put a locator identifier on the lots. We, so like if we do your living room, we'll have LR001. would be living room 001. And each lot will be numbered. They'll be packed up. So pictures, photographs, descriptions are packed up. They'll be stacked these kind of tables up on top of each other in your living room. And we, we get everything all organized. We'll run the sale, we'll post the sale, it'll go live. When it goes live, I have marketers. So like, for example, I've got a sale getting ready to go live that the gentleman has coolest collection of Boy Scout memorabilia. We just, cool. So my marketers will reach out to all the Boy Scout collectors. And so we'll market it, we'll put it online for seven, 10 days, depending on your timeline and mine and whatever. It'll go live while it's live, everything starts for a dollar, unless you really need to put a reserve on it. And we, we can go into that individually, but basically everything starts for a dollar. We move from um, uh, people bidding. I have over 600 people registered on my site alone. There are 200 sites throughout the United States with Caring Transition, so there's national market, there's buyers all over the country looking at stuff. Um, once the sale ends, so, Let's say you have a sale that has 100 lots. 100 lots will close one at a time. It'll take about two hours for your sale to close. And that way, buyers can buy, a bidder can buy more than one lot. Typically, in my auctions, each bot winner has three lots. So if I have 100 lots, I'll have 33 buyers. So your, your auction closes. Within 24 hours of the closing, everyone has to pay. So they'll get an invoice in the email that has all their lots. They click a button and everyone has to pay. They pay through PayPal. Once they pay, then there's a pickup time. We have a scheduled pickup time. It's usually about a three or four hour window, depending on how big your auction is. From Saturday from noon to three, you come and pick your stuff up. Only the winning bidders know the location of your house. And we know who all those people are because they're registered. You don't have any strangers coming in your house. You, nobody knows until that pickup time. And by the time they're, it's done, it's empty. And then your staff is there to direct traffic. Yes. My staff picks up stuff. And the, my favorite story about this is I had a client who had a, a California um, closet Murphy bed. And she wanted to have that Murphy bed disassembled. So she called California Closets and they wanted $3,000 to undo that Murphy bed. So we put it in our auction and sold it, and the guys who bought it came and took that thing apart and took it out. So, yeah. so she, made, she made $300 on something that was going to cost her $3,000. Now, you didn't make very much. She didn't get near the value for that California closet Murphy bed, but she didn't have to pay to have it taken out before she put her house on the market, which the realtor said you had to do. There you go. So, Does that answer your question? Yeah.
Well done. Good job. In a very short time frame, you did that. Very good. Yes? What if you're moving out of state? Will they, they help with your unpacking and settling in another state? Yeah. How do you guys handle out-of-state moves? So, we're <coughs> the preferred mover of the NFL <laughs> in Dallas. Uh, many of our uh, organizers and, and move managers have gone to from the Dallas-Fort Worth area to to Louisiana or to you know other other parts of the country. So what if there's you certainly a million dollars again? There's certainly a cost associated with that. Yeah. Um, there's you know I, I went to Ardmore to unpack a woman and there was a mileage and a surcharge for that that cost because it was a significant amount of time. The other thing is that most of us have access to a lot of resources nationwide. So we could find you a suitable, vetted person to assist you on the other end. Yeah, so there's a, there's a cooperation between the person and the other area. With the caring physicians, we have 200 offices. So often there's an office that we, I make coordinations with between those two offices. Yeah. It's not uncommon. And then, of course, with NASA, the National Association of Senior Managers and CRTS, uh, either we can help coordinate that or uh, you can go online yourself and find someone in that area and hire them directly. Um, I was at the NASA conference this last weekend and they were talking about that. And interestingly, like in real estate, we charge referral fees. So if I hook you up with a realtor in Dallas and you buy or sell a house there, that realtor is going to pay me a referral fee. Move managers don't do that very often. Some do, but by and large, they're doing it as a courtesy to you for you to do that, and they're not trying to make a profit because the margins are less on those. Okay. So um, I saw a couple of other hands. I'm gonna try to get everybody enjoy. So the question is, should, uh, is it better to have an estate sale in the house, where the stuff is, or to relocate it to a more uh, more accessible, or she, I think her word was where it's not as... The location, yeah. So what do you think, Liz? I think it depends on the situation, but there's one huge cost that you get added when you move your things, and that's moving. Imagine if you had to pack up an entire house, move it, unpack it, and set it up. So you're talking a couple, three to $4,000 more added to the cost of your, your estate sale when you do that. That's probably appropriate when you have an estate sale that, um, I, I had a client, and Curtis learned about this client, we had a client that was in Lawton uh, and they had some really nice things. Well, it wouldn't have done very well there, so it was worthwhile to pack it up and move it to Oklahoma City to have it have a retail location here. But the average home, it the average home, money no. I mean, it would be, it would, you would have to have some really, really unusual, nice things and a lot of them to make it worthwhile to do that. Yeah. Did I, I saw a hand over here. Yeah. Historically, what sells best, a furnished home or an unfurnished home? Uh, so you're asking a real estate question. What sells best, a furnished home or an unfurnished home? Uh, my rule of thumb is fully furnished or fully empty, not partially. So as a rule, what we try to do is if you're going to sell your house and you're going to move and you have a short window of time, you go, you move, 
do an estate sale, sell it empty. Because if you move and then try to put the house on the market, it looks bare and it looks, you know, in disarray and we don't, that's not the preferable way. You're not going to get as good of showing on that. Um, so, fully furnished or fully empty. If you're downsizing, our rule of thumb is you should move first, if at all possible. If financially that's not possible, we have solutions for that. Um, and the reason is because Liz talked about how long it takes to set up for that sale. And if your buyer buys the house and it wants, it wants to be there in 30 days, the window of opportunity for empty in that house may not be there. It's, it's really a challenge to, have, to fit an estate sale in if you have a 30-day closing on the house. I mean, it can be done, but it's chaos. So it's better to empty it first, I, I think. Yeah, my clients yeah. find it better to empty. Yeah, and in vacant houses here in our market, it will depend too on the house. If it's a $500,000 house, or if it's a $100,000 house, or if it's in a neighborhood that you know is brand new versus an older house. I mean, there's, it, you know my standard answer, what is it, crowd? It depends. And so that's why we do consultations. So we can give you that. Okay, last question, and I know we're short on time. Yes, sir. After the estate sale, what is the accounting procedure? Accounting? After an estate sale, what is your accounting procedure? Yeah, how do you handle the money? That's a great question. And so what we're trying to do with an estate sale is manage the labor. So so what we do is we have a what we call square. And an in-person estate sale, we have a thing called square, which is a, a, a money processing system and we can give you a printout of your sales every day now that doesn't mean that we associate each spatula with a cost because that would be too cost prohibitive so it's just a daily register of what how many what the sales were through the day in an auction we can give you a report that shows what each lot sold and then at the end once everything's collected what happens then so then we'll have an invoice and on the invoice it'll just basically give you the um amount of your sale, less all your costs, and then whether or not you owe me money or I owe you money. And how fast does that happen after the sale? I try to make that happen within two to three days after the sale. Does that answer your question? Okay. So I'm going to just kind of close up this topic with a little bit of a paraphrase and also want to put these ladies on a pedestal for a second. Um, each one of them is so heartfelt in what they do, right? Like up here, they're very direct because we have a short period of time. But I know that they sit with people and talk through this stuff when they're working with them because this is also emotional, yes? Yeah. So even though they have an, a job to do and it's task-oriented, they're also looking at it from the perspective of who is this person? Is this person, is it easy for them to let stuff go or is it hard? And they're working with that person based on their needs and their preferences and their goals and their emotions. Also know that just so you understand, so you know somebody asked me, Nikki, why do you have your competitors here? <laughs> well, because guess what? Kimber and her team, they do organizing. And Anya and I will tell you straight up, we are not the best organizers. We can get you resettled and situated and stuff's in its place. But if you have a lot of stuff and you really need somebody with an eye for keeping, you know, organizing, or you want to do it two years in advance, then that service is better than our service. We don't do estate sales. Liz and her team, they do estate sales. So we collaborate. Their teams don't do real estate. So we collaborate. When they have a client that uses them, then they talk to us about the real estate. So you guys get that this is a team effort. 
You do not have to pick one person and say they're the perfect person. You should definitely meet with multiple people, find out pricing, find out what they do, find out their process, find out the scope of their services. Do they clean the house out at the end of the sale or not? And they're just things that you have to ask. So I want to make sure you guys understand that this truth series is about giving you lots and lots of options. Yes? So did you get a new option today you didn't even know existed? Yes? Can we give them a hand? They can help with that. If they're moving into long-term care, they can help that. So it isn't just houses that they help people move. There's all kinds of things. And I know, Kimber, you guys go into senior communities and help people organize when they've lived there a year or so, right? And how many people bring too much stuff when they downsize? All of them. <laughs> now they're in that, you know, yeah. less than 1,000 square feet, and yeah. they need help getting it tidy. Yeah. Okay, guys, so you have some great resources. Please complete your evaluation. These ladies are going to be right over there under those pictures at the tables. If you guys want to go ahead and get over there before they bombard you. Please fill out your evals. You'll give those to the people at the back there. If you need a schedule, take it. Next month is selling the family home. So if you're ever thinking about selling your house, now or later, we're going to talk about all the good and bad and ugly and truths associated with that next month. So we'll see you next month, guys.